So before we get stuck into uh, my brand new podcast series, Brothers in Rhythm, I do just want to read out a short disclaimer. So just bear with me. I just want to thank you all for being here. Um, As I say, before we get stuck into this new podcast series, I just want to say that we are going to be talking about uh, and touching on some very difficult, sensitive and emotional topics. And the light on my Mac just went down, so I couldn't see what I was reading. Um, But this does mean that this content could be hard for you to watch uh, or listen to. It could be triggering for you. Um, So please do take it easy on yourself. If you need to pause at any time, just like me, I'm sure I will be doing that during this. Uh, Do that. Take a pause. You can stop. Come back whenever you want. Uh, This content will always be here for you, as will we. Um, If you do need any support, you can reach out to us. Uh, We're not professionals, but we are always here with a friendly ear. So uh, thank you. Um, So who is this guy sitting in front of you today, um, starting his new podcast series? What's it all about? Um, I am Michael Wall. I'm in just outside Brighton in the UK. Um, I think most of the people coming to my um, coming to this content will probably know me as being a DJ Waxworks. Um, Some people know me by the name of Wally. Some people know me by the name Mike, Mikey, uh, Blue Boy, and also Little Gay Monkey. (laughs) Um, which we'll be talking about later on in the podcast and and my brother who is with me over here ross hello ross hi (laughs) how you doing mate you all right (laughs) yeah i'm all right you all right yeah he's gonna uh he's gonna be joining in this podcast series with us today so it's it's called brothers in rhythm um and it is in memory of uh our late brother tim um and we're going to be talking about um our relationship as brothers all of us together um and uh, what we've been through. Um, and it's been quite a ride, to say the least. Mm, definitely. Um, so I'm just going to have a little sip of water and <coughs> take a moment, <coughs> compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a lovely setup here today, brought to you by uh, Audio Mango, our amazing friend Gav at Audio Mango. So we're very, very thankful for him to uh, making this possible today and making us feel um, as at ease and as comfortable as possible um, for talking about everything we are going to be sharing with you today in this podcast. Um, we're also going to be joined by my uh, partner in crime, um, my wife, my best friend, um, Sasha. Um, and we're all going to be talking about our relationships together with Tim um, and specifically a lot about uh, what we went over, what we've been through um, in the last two and a half years uh, since lockdown in uh, 2020. And actually the reason that we're doing it the way that we're doing it today is obviously it would be really hard for me to just sit here today and and uh, talk to a camera and... Um, and share all the things I'm going to share today. It's much easier when you've got someone by your side. And I've been lucky enough uh, to have this lovely lady right here by my side for, I've got to get this right now, because I'm going to be in trouble. Nine years? Uh, eight years married, nine years together. Just over. Just over. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, everything's easier really with two. Everything's easier with two. So, yeah, um, I think we're going to start with just talking about mine and tim's relationship growing up together i suppose yeah tell me about you brothers 
Us brothers, so... Where did the madness start? <laughs> Our house in the middle of our street. <laughs> Used to dance to the tune of a Rocksteady beat. There's a song about that. There is a song about that. And there's... Um, a couple and- of nutty boys, were you? We were, yeah. I was definitely a nutty little boy. The amount of sugar I was on. <laughs> Bouncing off the walls. <laughs> Literally, no pun intended, last name wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I came into the world in 1977... It's a Queen Silver Jubilee. Not that we should give her any airtime. Um, <laughs> but um, my brother was 10 years older than me. And we had two other siblings that were 12 years and 14 years older than me. So uh, as my dad would put it, I was... Uh, oh, I didn't know I could still do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I grew up idolising my brother. Um, by the time I was three, I was bouncing around the lounge with my microphone, singing along to Madness. Uh, you know, they were one of the prominent bands at the time, Scar, UK Scar band. Um, and yeah, Tim was a skinhead. Um, and I just I just idolised my brother, always looked up to him and he protected me from the moment I came into this world. And uh, although I didn't realise it at the time, I, I helped protect him in many ways. Um <laughs> Uh, since we got together, I have had the pleasure of hearing so many stories. And uh, yeah, we got together in 2012. End of 2012, I was living in Essex. Um, and uh, Mike came along as one of my DJs on the radio station. And when he came into my life, and it was pretty much a whirlwind, um, that's a story for another day. Um, but one of the things I always loved about him was all of his stories um, because they were always, always so detailed um, and so real. And you've been all over the world and done all kinds of things in your life. Yeah. Um, and I love hearing your stories. And and like I said, you know, it's about sharing our stories. And mm. this is, uh, you know, we... Uh, we all have people that aren't in in our lives for all kinds of different reasons, and so you know, I can I can feel the emotion, I can hear the emotion, I can I can feel the energy, um, and you know, I can feel his presence all the time, um, and I love hearing your stories and and um, start your you know your story with your brother is a beautiful one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a real one and yeah and it starts with the starts with the music really didn't it yeah it was it was uh yeah he was into madness so i uh i loved madness i actually got to uh go and see them in concert when i was three um that's another story um but uh yeah and then um we uh we sadly lost our father in uh in 94 and uh, I was only 17, he was 27. Um, but it set us off on a path uh, traveling. And we went to the other side of the world, literally. Um, we went to New Zealand for three months together, um, backpacking around New Zealand. It was me and my brother and uh, a good friend of mine, James Muggeridge, who was supposed to be going to America with another friend, but that fell through because the other friend's girlfriend didn't want him to go in the end. So he just had saved all this money for this trip. And I literally rang him about two weeks before we were due to go. Mugs, Mugs rang him in the morning. He's, he's answered the phone. He'd been out the night before, so he was a bit hungover. He's like, what, what do you want? What do you want? I was like, do you want to go to New Zealand next week? And he's like, shut, shut up, put the phone down, ring him back. No, mate, I'm serious. <laughs> um, two weeks later, there we are, me and my brother Tim and my mate Mugsy land in Auckland. 
in New Zealand. You know, and I'd only been abroad a couple of times before that. So to mm. be the other side of the world at that age. And Tim was about to get married before that, wasn't he? He was engaged. He was engaged, yeah. Um, you know, that's a whole story there as well, a whole love story. Um, and a shout out to, to Geraldine. To Geraldine, yeah. Um, massive, massive part of my brother's life. Um, and yeah, and he's still a massive part of hers, I know. Yeah. She's still connected. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Um, but I did I did come back to the UK initially. Um, I wanted to come back for my 18th birthday and miss my friends, all that kind of normal teenage stuff. And uh, so I came back and we went to Rutherford's club on the pier in Worthing for my 18th. All my friends got kicked out before midnight for fighting. Uh, I remember walking down the pier dropping my change and other things through the cracks in the pier and being like oh my god now i've got to walk home and walking along this the bright you know seafront from worthing to uh to shoreham so you know it's only a couple of miles but when you've had quite a few shandies um in the wind in the rain and just thinking what have i done why have i come back um um my brother and Muggsy stayed they went on to the south island of new zealand um and then went on to sydney australia um, so I saved up, sold my car and jumped back on a plane, dragged another friend with me, Ricky Coombs, big shout out to Ricky. Um, and we went and met up with my brother who was then at a place called the Harborside Hotel. I've heard a lot about the Harborside. <laughs> shout out to all the Harborsiders. Um, there's a lot of love that's come in from a lot of them. Sorry. <laughs> so it's a really brave thing you're doing here mike and um and you're allowed to stop and pause as well uh it is a really brave thing and i know it's a really important thing to you and obviously your pain is my pain <laughs> it's really emotional yeah um just so that people can be aware if you're not um we tragically lost my brother tim um it would be two years uh this weekend um in unexplained circumstances um, not fully explained not fully explained to us um, um yeah and uh we, we've been through a difficult time and a lot of love has come in from from people that me and tim met around the world and it means the world uh, so i say thank you <laughs> We do need a sponsor. We do need a, a <laughs> tissue sponsor. Kleenex would be great. Yeah, uh, if you've got an issue, we've got a tissue. Um, but this is this is also this is demonstrating um, what this podcast is all about. It's all right for guys to cry. It's all right for all of us to cry. <laughs> We're not going to spend the whole podcast crying. <laughs> no. um, but yeah, it is important to be able to let go. And um, I've seen you go through the, a huge amount of emotion um, since since your brother reached out for help um, and since you lost your brother and since. And and you're a very brave man. And um, it make, in my humble opinion, it's a bigger man that can cry and show his emotions um, than one that doesn't and that's not that there's anything uh anything bad about that but you know many many boys and 
and boys and men have been brought up to not show your emotions and yeah. be strong and you know and just like stick up for your brothers and be hard and you know and this is what this this podcast is all about it is you know it's about your brotherly that's love its, that's its purpose its purpose is to um be able to let other guys come in and, and talk to me about whatever issue it is that they're not talking about openly um, sharing, that can space. sharing that's opening a space for people to be able to share what they want to share uh, in a, and of yeah. course it's something that i know we all wish that we would have been able to do more with tim exactly to that. be able to talk yeah that's all he ever wanted to do he wanted us all, all to talk together and that's what we were prevented from doing. And it's, an, it's such an important thing to do. So, breaking the silence now. We back, are. <laughs> if we go back. If we go back to the nice bit for a bit, the uh, the travel story um, and being in Australia, that was an amazing experience. Two and a half years living in an absolute madhouse, mate. <laughs> you know, and I remember turning up. So actually. My friend, the night before I went, uh, thought it would be funny to bleach blonde dye my hair. Um, so I looked like Brad from Neighbours when I turned up <laughs> and uh, obviously instantly got bullied. But my brother had already been there for six months and he was already friends with everyone there. So it was all like, you know, really in jest. And, and Timmy's little brother was just welcomed into the fold, basically. Um, and my little mate, Ricky. Um and uh and we had two and a half crazy years there, man. Um, we went on a three month uh, tourist visa ended up staying there that long and uh, just handing ourselves in when we left and saying sorry we loved the country too much so we'd, we couldn't leave um we just spent our time bumming around surfing having an amazing time by the sounds of things having a good time yeah um after that i'd uh, i'd met a girl and gone on to live in canada for three years tim popped over and and came to visit us while i was living there um, but then we went on to do three seasons together in uh, Mallorca and Andorra. And he was a holiday rep and uh, I was DJ, obviously. <laughs> in um, comes the DJ. More of a, more of a Oggy Oggy DJ than the, the Waxworks DJ that most people might know me for. Um, it's all uh, it's all uh, experience. Um, and uh, our first season together was in Andorra. Our, our second season was in, uh, in Magaluf in 2000. Shagaloof. Shagaloof, yeah. Magaloof to Parmanova. <laughs> Everybody shagging all over. <laughs> right British tourist trap uh, kind of resort. Uh, but a lot of fun when you're young. And uh, I must say my brother was repping. And uh, there was... Um, he had his team of reps and they would come into the club and they'd do their full Monty in front of the 1830s and all of that. And I was DJing in the club. And um, as I said, one of the names that I've I've gone under in the past is Little Gay Monkey, because that's what my brother used to call me all the time. What are you, what are you doing, you little gay monkey? Well, you know, that's wrong, you little gay monkey. Gay monkey a lot. Um, and he was uh, he was chief monkey. So we met, uh, we met a guy called, uh, well, he was then called Bob. His real name is Anthony, <laughs> Anthony Malloy. Oi, oi. Um, but the first season we were out there, me, Tim, uh, met Bob and, uh, and Laura, a girl that we, we call our sister. Um, and we were all repping for a bar called Paradise Lost. And Bob became Northern Monkey, because he's from Blackburn. And then the other monkeys were Klutz Monkey gayest of the gay monkeys last of the monkeys and have I missed <laughs> any of the monkeys <laughs> monkeys out um but yeah we uh we all ended up getting a tattoo on our backsides of our of a monkey emblem doing a shot of uh tequila in the eye like lemon in the eye um snorting the salt doing the shot of the tequila 
and our little uh, monkey tags. So we had those on our backsides. All went in together, all very drunk. My brother already covered in tattoos, right? And he was the first one to go in. And he goes in and we're all sitting there waiting. And you just hear him screaming. And we're like, what? And he came out and we're like, are you joking? Why is not how painful that sounded? He went, no. And we're like, you've had them everywhere. He's like, I've never had one more painful than on your butt. (laughs) And it was, it was like. The more fleshy, ow. Fleshy. Um, but that you know that the traveling aside um we both then came back to the uk and um got into working as residential social workers um the beginning of where that story comes from is another story um i think (laughs) (laughs) Um, stories upon stories we've got lots of podcasts there are stories upon stories and we've got plenty of time to do so so. (laughs) got a lifetime yeah we both worked for uh, for residential children's home in a company called Asphalaya. Tim working with unaccompanied asylum seekers, and I was working with uh, English kids that have, um, needed to redo their exams as a mentor. Tell us what that's like working with those kids just coming out of care and and the kid children's homes that you worked. The in. children's homes was the first experience. Well, the first experience. We also grew up in a in a foster family because my best friend, when I was eleven. Um, disclosed to me that he'd been abused by his father him and his little sister and my mum and dad at the time ended up um, becoming foster parents first fostering him um so that's why we went into what we went into in a way um the children's homes i mean i worked in ones in lansing and worthing and it was just no rules no no holds barred basically the kids had the the run of the Homes, the, off, the staff were often shutting themselves in the office. Just the, kids were, the kids were using the local police officers as a, as a local taxi service. Um, but I was so quite, out of the bonfire, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah, but I was I was a bit younger than most of the staff, and the kids really related to me. And uh, quite often would go, you're just like one of us, Mikey, aren't you? You know, and if they were going out that night to abscond, they'd tell me <laughs> and go, look, Mike, you're not going to have a night's sleep tonight. I'm going to be uh, not getting back until about four or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but jokes aside, you know, like it's not it's not a place where these kids should be ending up. Mm. Um, quite often based close to train stations. Um, quite often within roads where they know that there are predators that have been released into the community. You know, the police know all of this. Why are mm. they putting them in these areas? Close yes. to where they can abscond and be moved around. And this is obviously being talked a lot about at the moment, from it Rotherham to, yeah. to every institution. And they're talking about a lot of historic stuff here, you know, back in the 80s. But, you know, I'm talking about when I was working in these places was 2002, you know, early 2000s, late 2000s, and they haven't got any better. No. No, no, they're not going any better. No, but me and Tim worked side by side in those places as well. Um, and then you know, in in Asphalaya, we ended up when we were working there. As I say, Tim was working with the unaccompanied asylum seekers, and I was working with the English kids. And one of the things that we did that was really nice um, is that I wrote to the the Chelsea Charity Trust and to see if we could get some tickets for the kids that we were working with. And um, they gave us 12 tickets, I can't remember, you know, every three months or whatever it was, to take a group's kids up there. So we took half from the asylum seeking side and half from the English kids side. I know we're crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it really, really worked. Taking them to their first ever football game at a stadium. I mean, these African kids were just like, oh! 
<laughs> in heaven. Um, the English kids more spoiled at this point, kind mm. of trying to act really cool and give mm. it all that. But bringing the two cultures together, by the end of it, you know, they were getting on like a house on fire, um, almost too well. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we also did a, a massive sports day at a sports centre in Worthing where we got all the kids down there and we had football, table tennis, badminton, you know, like, so nobody was excluded, whatever level sport they could do. And, and they all came down and got involved. Bringing them together. Yeah, bit of unity, unity in the community. Yeah. Um, and some of the kids that we worked with also lived with us uh, under our roof with me and my brother um, and my mum. It's time to bring Ross back in, isn't it? But not the other two older siblings. They'd they'd moved out when we started, when the fostering happened, and and got married and had moved on. So, the so how, how old were you, how old were you when your elder siblings? Eleven, left? twelve. He got moved out when I was three. So, yeah. Um, but talking about those brothers, it is time to bring in. Talking about the brothers, yeah. Yeah. You and Ross have a chat now, yeah? Give me a little, <laughs> little debrief. Okay, let's yeah. chat. So, Ross, yep. we're giving Mike a little breather. Yes, we little are. Mike, he's been through a lot, hasn't he? He has been through a hell of a lot, yeah. It's not been an easy time. Definitely not, no. Definitely not. Life ain't easy, though, is it? Life's not easy, no. <laughs> 100% not easy. It's not been an easy ride. So how did you uh, pop, pop up? And <laughs> into the family. Into the, into the family. <laughs> Somebody shouting in the background. Uh, how did um, how did you meet Mike and Tim? Uh, I met Mike and Tim because uh, their mum fostered me. So I was a foster son uh, with their mum and them. Um, yeah, that's how. How old were you then? Fifteen. Fifteen years young. You know. Fifteen um, years young. Yeah, it was. Different. How do you describe yourself when you was 15? Um, trouble. <laughs> Realistically, yeah, trouble. You know? <laughs> like every teenage boy is, I suppose, at that sort of age. Every, you know? yeah. So, yeah. You're still a kid. And you're still, still a kid, still learning. And you hadn't had an easy ride on the... Uh the way up. Oh, definitely not. No, no. But that, you know, it's life. It's life, really. And you, you have to uh, make the best of things that you can. So You, you do indeed. Yeah. So, uh, so when you turned up with uh, at the Foster family, um, tell us about Tim and Mike. Uh, well, when I got there, um, I think the boys were still travelling. Um, and then I think Tim came back first, from what I can remember. And Mike wasn't that far behind. Never far behind. Never far behind. <laughs> Always there. So um, yeah, no, it was double trouble, weren't they? It was. Uh, it was fun. It was. A f it was fun to grow up with. Uh, you know, Michael was pumping the music every single Saturday morning, <laughs> so you didn't get a lay in. But you know, it's, it's how it was his passion. So you know, you had to appreciate that. Oh. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was all right. It was nice all right. to come and have a couple of bigger brothers. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's one thing I never got. You know, was uh, um, obviously you know I've got other siblings, but um, didn't never had brothers, so it was real nice to actually have that um, that, that 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 brother figure around. Realistically, mm. you know, someone you can talk to about things that you can't talk to anyone else about. You yeah. Know? So yeah, it was nice. It was real nice. Yeah, I think this is what bro love's all about, isn't it? I, you know, I was an only child till I was ten. And I've always been the oldest, so yeah, I've never had the like the big bro. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, I kind of. Yeah, I kind of always wanted that as well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a needed thing, I think. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably love's an important thing. Yeah, that's it. That's 100%. Probably love all the way. Indeed. So, and so time went on and uh, you left. You had to uh, move out when your uh, time come, when you got got to a... Uh, adulthood as it were well apparently so at 16 at apparently 16. you're an adult at 16 yeah apparently. so why is that in the care system that you're an adult at 16 but for the rest of the world you have to wait till you're 18 oh, Any I, I, ideas don't, about I don't really know to be honest cause <laughs> you're, you're still a still a child until you hit about 21 anyway so i don't think that ever changes and and so what happened then when you were 16 and you were uh, it was my time to move out. I, you know, I had to. Just... I had to. I could no longer live in the uh, the foster family scenario anymore, yeah. and I had to venture out at the age of sixteen and and live. You know, pretty much. Well, I was living with one other person, but you know, it was just me and him, and mm. that was it. And it's yeah, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy when you're sixteen, is it? No, because normally you'd have to. You're just you know, parents there to guide you, you know. A support and, network. Exactly. You know, I, you know, I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I had to guide myself. And at 16, you, you, is, you're not really guiding yourself. You're just sort of flowing with it. And hope, yeah, just, hopefully you come out the other side. Yeah, hoping for the best. Pretty much, Having yeah. no fucking clue what you're doing. <laughs> that's it. Well, that is it, you know. And that's that's what they do to you. That, that sort of, you know, we're going to care for you to a certain amount. And then we're just going to, you know, go live your life sort of thing. And, mm. uh, it's, you know, it's not the best way to do it really but the care that the care system gives when you're a child and the care system gives where as you uh, kind of move into adulthood uh, has a lot to be desired i would say don't you <laughs> from somebody out of it um I, I feel like they need to change the way they're doing the, the way they're doing it because it's not working Honestly, it's the not working. The care system is broken and it's it doesn't work. care. Yeah, they, they don't basically. care enough. Basically, it's a it's a it's a money game. It's mm. like everything else is in 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 the world. You know, it's mm. a it's no care. Mm. It's no actual care. Mm. It's literally just moved around constantly. You know what I mean? Because you you can't, in a sense, you can't fit in because you don't you're not brought up in the same scenario as you would been if you would have stayed at home with your parents. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So. And there's so many different reasons why people are no longer with their parents. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, I think it's a, yeah, it's an incredibly hard thing when you've come from such a tough start. Yeah. Uh, to then obviously be kind of thrown out to fend for yourself. And, uh, yeah, it's never easy when you've got nobody to fall back on. And, you know, and that's that's such a hardship for for anybody that you know no, nobody gets uh nobody chooses to where they're born or who they're born to or how that works so you know it's the luck of the draw isn't it it is it is really there's a lot of problems in these institutions that are creating a lot of problems when people reach adulthood yeah 100 percent. there's not enough support yeah realistically you d you don't have enough support mm. <laughs> you don't have enough support throughout mm. um so yeah it's uh it's not good it's not good and that's what support is you know like we were saying with the you know two brothers to look out for you that's that was the first real support yeah 100% yeah 100% yeah 
Yeah. So tell us about Tim. Tell us about your relationship with Tim then. Uh, it's a relationship with Tim, yeah, I think it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know, like we always laughed and joked and, you know, smiled and, you know, had good times and everything else. Um, he was he was a great bloke. You know, he really was. He was a... Uh... It's not easy. It's time for bro hug. <laughs> Come in with the bro hugs. And back and crew effort. Yeah. And it, you know, it might look, look like, you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like to anybody. Um, but sharing um, sharing your love, I, you know, I've, I've seen you both go on a huge journey um, since, since Tim hit crisis point. Yeah. Um, and I know, say to the both of you I know he is here and smiling down on the both of you and with you every step of the way yeah and um and I just want you both to know that you're both men to be proud of and that you can sit here and talk about somebody that we only lost a couple of years ago that meant so much to you both is a beautiful thing and I commend you both and I commend you very much and we can pause for a minute. <laughs> something I am something that I am going to talk about a lot more um, in podcasts moving forward is going to be about um, the healing techniques um, and things that have been really helping me personally over the last couple of years going through the trauma that I've gone through. Um, and I've, I've spoken a little bit about it on my blogs. Uh, you can go to iStreamRadio.com and look for Friday Night Live with Waxworks. You've got music there. Uh, you've got my blogs. You can subscribe there and the podcasts are going to be going up there as well. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about techniques like meditation, breathing, um, and sharing as well, which we are doing here today. Um, yeah, I know, I know it's going to be really hard for you, Ross, just to sit there and talk about yours and Tim's relationship. Um, so I think maybe we should we should move on and talk to about you know the main reason we are here today, um, and that is to share the story of what happened to our brother. Um, and more importantly, the reasons why it happened. Uh, it's um, it's not about grief. It's not about guilt. It's not about blame. Uh, but it is about the truth, and it is about love. Um, and that's where we come together um, in this union, this brotherly union today, to talk about what happened to Tim. So, um, it was uh. <coughs> It was a little while before lockdown. Um, it became apparent to me um, that my brother was struggling. He'd been signed off work for a while um, and seemed to be getting a bit more recluse, bro, wouldn't you say? Like, you know, you were coming around and seeing him a bit. Yeah. I kind of saw a decline of him. You know, my brother, used to, we used to go out in Shoreham all the time, me and Tim, every Friday night. You know, we were working together in the children's homes. Friday night, we'd go down to Marley's, we get on the beers, all of that. And um, I think it was around 2014, actually, 15, maybe that kind of, st he stopped going out so much after he came back from Burma, maybe. Yeah. You know, not he was not still not going out and seeing people. It was not an immediate thing. Suddenly he didn't go out. It was a gradual process. Um, and it's important to talk about these things because these are the things that we can all watch out for for each other. Um, <clears throat> and initially he signed himself off of work with, a, what you said, he said he had a bad back. 
Um, that was 2018. Um, and then in November 2019, he started to talk about that he was feeling anxious and depressed. Um, I came back from a holiday uh, early to 2020 in February from Zanzibar. And uh, when I went round to see my brother the next time after that, I could see um, that he didn't look very well either. And I was starting to be really worried about him. Um, and I said that to him. And he opened up to me and he said he was talking to someone um, at Time to Talk, a therapist. He started telling me some of the things he was going through. He said some of the things he was experiencing, being paranoia. Um, he said he was uh, feeling anxious to get on a train to London to go to work and things like that. And really opening up, you know, we were, we were super close. So we had these conversations, even though I wasn't living at home with him. And I know he had some conversations with you, Ross, as well, about these things. Yeah, yep. Um, so it wasn't that Tim wasn't uh, opening up in any way. Um, he really was trying to. Um, and in March, um, I became aware that he was on a medication, <coughs> sertraline, um, that seemed to make him go from, so before where he seemed to be coming home from work and just sitting in his bedroom watching telly to being really, um, uh, what's the word, hyperactive and speaking quite fast um, uh, and speaking about different things, different topics um, and, and then telling me different information. Like at one point he was saying that he wanted to sign off from work um, and become my mum's full-time carer the other point he was going but no actually I want to I want to go and work for Asphalaya uh, and um, it was uh, it was April that it really hit home um, Ross um, I know that you were you got the first phone call from mother mm -hmm. yeah on uh, April 26th wasn't it what, what did she say do you remember um, I that's like probably come round. Probably, I've, you know, Tim's not doing well. And it's it's not it's not like she had ever rung you before either and asked you to stay over, was it? She's not the person. She was never the person to ring me and I, and I ring well just to ring me in general. Realistically, it was so always the other way around. So f for for that to happen, I knew, I knew something was uh, quite serious. I knew I had to go around there and 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 try and be there. And, and for support, really. Like, yeah. I didn't know what I was walking into, and uh, half me wish I didn't pick up the phone, to be honest, because it's been a fucking roller coaster. Sorry for my swearing, but it has. This is what it is. Can you tell us what you did walk in and, and what, what you were confronted with? I I walked in, and, you know, um, Tim was someone I didn't recognise anymore. Um he was he was erratic and he was he was uh, saying crazy things and he was getting violent and uh, outbursts and you know that 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 scared me that scared me his room was in a bit of a mess wasn't it his room was destroyed uh, you know after he'd spent months preparing it and making it perfect for him and and that was gone in like a day you know um and yeah, you know, like I just lost him. I just lost him. <clears throat> um, I've a similar experience um, in what happened um, uh, on the twenty seventh of April, day after Ross got his phone call. 
which was my birthday. <clears throat> and uh, my mother rang me for the first time in her life. I've always had to ring her. And uh, I was coming back from my morning run. And I saw it was my mum ringing. And I tried to answer it straight away. And my, my hands were a bit sweaty from my run. So it, it, it hung up. And, um, but I was just 30 seconds from my front door so I got home and got my towel and got dry and went straight in the garden and rang her back and uh, and she answered straight away and I just she didn't say happy birthday she just said it's come to a head with your brother <clears throat> and um, I just remember being in shock um, my mother's 82 years old at this point and Tim have been living with her for the last 10 years just the two of them together and um uh, so I just wanted to make sure I didn't frighten her and I just said well so, you know it's all right mum I was planning to come over this morning with some birthday cake that Sasha's made and we'll be overseen and everything will be all right all right I'll see you in a I'll see you in a minute and um uh, we turned up and walked in and Ross was sat in the kitchen with my mum at the kitchen table and we'd just gone into lockdown so my initial thing when I walked in the door was I had a bit of a pop at you didn't I I was yeah. like what the fuck are you doing here yeah. what, what is going on like this isn't you know this is all just unnatural stuff happening yeah and uh, and then Tim was in his room I think out the back and he, he heard me and he came through shouting going you can't tell me what to do in my house and, and I can't remember exactly what he said but again it was just completely unnatural my brother never shouted at me um and uh and uh he wasn't well he wasn't well um my wife stayed in the kitchen with my mum and ross and uh me and tim went out to the back of the garden to talk <clears throat> and uh i'd seen that he'd been doing work out in the back garden before but it got really bad there was a big hole in the back of the fence with all the furniture chucked in it there was like this fire pit He'd ripped out the the, uh, the seats from the back of his van and he had them there and stuff. And, and he was telling me that he, was, he did it all to have fires at the end of the garden through lockdown. And obviously I'm saying that nobody should be coming near the, should be coming near the house, uh, you know, because uh, we're supposed to be shielding <laughs> at that time. Uh, it was early, early days in the COVID um, pantomime that we've been through in the last two years. Um, but... Um, Tim started uh, saying that he had to tell me things and, uh, and one of the things he told me was that uh, he'd spoken to Carol who used to be a manager for him at Asphalea um, and, and opened up to her uh, he said he was on the phone so he was over at Rec, which was his, one of his safe places and he'd spoken to her on the phone and uh he told her that he was um, sexually abused when he was 10 and uh, and he said that she just turned around and she believed him and he dropped to his knees and he said thank god I've been carrying this around for 40 years now I feel like someone believes me uh, <clears throat> and the reasons for that we'll talk about as well but um, let's just keep with where we are I was in contact already with his doctors about being worried about the medication not being right. Um, 
uh, over the next course of the next few days was was in contact with his doctors, and uh, it was clear that he needed to go to hospital. He wasn't well. Um, he was saying he said he had monkeys on his shoulders and was hearing voices. Um, and at one point, he said that my uh, my wife Sasha, who's here with us today, his face turned into his ex girlfriend's face, um, and that really scared me. Um, <laughs> And he became angry um, about Sasha. And, uh, and I was telling the doctors everything at the time, talking to them. Um, what I didn't know is that they were also talking to my mother. And that she was telling them that there was nothing to worry about. And that he wasn't hallucinating and that none of this was going on. When it was. <clears throat> my brother also... <laughs> on the 1st of May uh, it's on his doctor's notes and I didn't find this out until we got the notes which was just before his inquest this year 2022 and we're talking about what was happening back in May 2020 right now Um, and he'd phoned his doctor and told him about historic child sexual abuse from the age of 10 and (laughs) the doctor recorded on his notes that it, it sounded consensual I don't have to explain how wrong that is, <clears throat> but that is uh, one of the massive failings in the in the build up of the of the crisis or what happened to him. Because again, then he felt not believed and not. And that's it. It's as simple as that. And it's not easy for a, a grown man to uh, to open up and talk about these things. But he wanted to. He was trying. He wanted the family to talk about it. The other people in the family didn't want him or me or anyone to talk about it. <clears throat> um, on uh, on the 6th of May, well, sorry, skipping a bit here. Um, after speaking to his doctors, they did eventually say that it would be a good idea for mental health assessment team came around and spoke to him just to make sure he's okay. Tim was aware of it all, and they they came around on the on the fifth of May, and uh, I was given sole um, uh, consent by Timothy to talk to uh, the doctors about his mental health. No other family member. I didn't know this at the time. Uh, you know, everything was happening. It was all so. It was like a movie. It was crazy. Not a good movie. A horror movie. Um, stop and breathe a minute um, the mental health assessment team came and I wasn't permitted to sit in the room with him my older brother was instead and uh, and they spoke to him and um, the the final part of the assessment was to say that you know he would have to go to hospital for an assessment voluntarily if he didn't go uh, he would get sectioned Um as a family, we felt that we'd got him to agree to go. <clears throat> and, uh, but I was told that they couldn't find a bed that night by my other brother. Um, what I didn't know was actually Tim was refusing to go. Um, but um, it was agreed that Ross would uh, would stay there again overnight. That me and Sash would go home. Mark and uh, the others would go home. Um 
and would come back the next day and I would try and take Tim to hospital rather than him be sectioned or taken off in an ambulance or anything like that. And uh, so we came back early the next morning. I was told that the crisis team were going to ring in the morning and they'd say, you know, where we could take him. And uh, when we turned up in the morning, my sister was uh, already in the house and the door was locked. And uh, I didn't hang about. I uh, I kicked the side gate open um, to make sure I could see where my mother was. And she was sat, she was in the kitchen and Ross was in the kitchen. And, uh, and Joanne was in there as well. Tim was in his room at the front of the house at this point. Uh, and I went back round to the front of the house and there was a there was something outside the front of his window, a little chair or something at the time. And I, I sat on it so I wasn't looking through the window, but so I knew he could hear me. And I just said, bro, please. <clears throat> let me take you to the hospital and let me uh, get you some help. And uh, then he was moved into the back room, the one that he was calling the devil room at the time, with my sister. And um, so I went back round to the to the other side to try and talk to my mum and, and who was in the house. Um, my brother turned up, other older brother turned up, and he was let in, and we were still left outside. Whilst you were standing in the kitchen crying as soon as you saw that we couldn't be let in. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard. You know, you're very hard. You got manic, manicness going on inside the house. Then you got your brother and his wife on the other side, and you're you're not allowed to open the door. You know, and you're stuck. You're stuck in between. You know what I mean? It wasn't a fair position for you to be put in, and it's not how it should have happened. And this is isolation. This is pure isolation. What they were doing, I had no idea that. <clears throat> what was going on at the time it was as I say nothing like this had ever happened in our family before we'd never had any arguments flare-ups we were so close and uh, I was being told at this point that I was Tim's trigger or my wife was first I think Sasha was and Tim couldn't see Sasha and Sasha needs to go away Sasha's not in the family Oh, and that she had scary eyes because she was staring through the window. Meanwhile, I'm talking to my mum through the cat flap, uh, trying to get her to let me in. Uh, the police were called. Ambulance came, tried to speak to my brother and get him to go, but he was refusing at this point. If he kept refusing, he would have been sectioned. And that's what I didn't want to happen. I believe that's exactly what the other side of the party wanted to happen. And they knew what they were doing. And that's what makes it so disgusting. <clears throat> the other two siblings have not been around for the last 30 years. Um, Ross, let's talk about that quickly. Um, just to ease up a bit. You lived with uh, with our mother for a year and a bit, maybe. Yep, yep. Me and Tim, always there. You and Tim, always there. The others... Uh, there for Christmas 
they're for birthdays. They wouldn't. They wanted money pretty much without being harsh. <laughs> but that's how it was. It was never. It was. They were never in the f- family dynamic of every day. It was always you and Tim. You know what I mean. And that's well, why we, we live in there. So we had a better bond. You know what I mean. I, you guys actually accepted me into the family. The other two, I was just a child. I was just like a foster child. You know what I mean. Well, I remember when I said was saying to getting trying to say that you should stay there when tim went into hospital and uh and uh the other brother not tim was saying that he, he's not family mm. and i was just like you know you're not yeah <laughs> yeah this is this is it <clears throat> blood doesn't always make family no <sighs> families being there for each other 100%. going through things with each other yeah and these people just hadn't been around <clears throat> and uh, i did make a mistake of trusting them because you're supposed to be able to trust your family, right? Especially your mother. Um, well, that was a really traumatic day. Um, it ended up with uh, myself and Sasha not being let in, having to go and wait at the beach at the end of the road um, and be told when uh, when Tim would go to hospital, not knowing if he was going to be taken away, sectioned, or how he was getting there, what was going on. I eventually got a text message from my other brother saying that Tim had decided he's agreed to go in and he was going to take him. And uh, he was then taken to Meadowfield in Worthing um, where he was a patient for four weeks. Okay, boys. So I think we're going to give it a break for episode one now. Yeah. And we can see that there's a lot of emotion involved and everybody needs a pause. We have a little Wim Hof moment. Everybody needs a pause. Um, have a cup of tea. Have a cup of coffee. It's a, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to, uh, to tell. There's and, a lot to uh, get out and to let go of. We've got to be kind on ourselves at the same time. Like I said at the beginning, the disclaimer is if we need a pause, we have to have a pause and that's exactly what we need. Exactly. Yeah. Take it slow. Polly Polly, like they told us in Zanzibar. Yep. Polly Polly. Okay, so yeah, that's episode one. And uh, thank you, Boris, for being so brave. Guys. I shouldn't call you boys. I know you're men, really. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, we love you. And uh, we'll be back for episode two. You will. Namaste.